Welcome to the U.S.-China Insights Podcast from the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, featuring short interviews with leading experts on timely issues affecting the U.S.-China relationship. In the following conversation, Program Officer Erica Quach interviews one of the founders of Stop AAPI Hate, Russell Jung, about the alarming reports of violence and crimes committed against Asian Americans over the past year. Russell Jung is a professor of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University. In 2020, Dr. Jung launched Stop AAPI Hate, a project for tracking COVID-19-related discrimination in order to develop community resources and policy interventions to fight racism. Dr. Jung received a BA in Human Biology and an MA in Education from Stanford University. He obtained his PhD in Sociology from the University of California, Berkeley. Russell, what do we know about the reported increase in violence and crimes against Asian Americans over the past year? Well, first off, the crimes aren't necessarily rising. I think we've all experienced violence. The crimes have been ongoing. The racism, though, has been spurred clearly by the pandemic and then exacerbated by the political rhetoric of the last administration. And social media has contributed a lot to the rise in racism. So there are two distinct trends. One is the racism that usually spikes during periods of war and pandemic and economic downturn. And then the violence from crime has been an almost daily occurrence for those of us who live in crime-ridden areas. We started Stop API Hate Tracking Center where Asian Americans could self-report incidents of racism. This is our one-year anniversary today on March 19th. What we've learned is that the racism is widespread. We have reports from all 50 states. It's pervasive. We have 3,800 incidents, but we know that's just the tip of the iceberg that a latest survey showed three out of five Asian Americans have experienced racism and that the racism has become institutionalized. A lot of policies have been implemented last year that disproportionately impact Asian Americans, especially immigration policies. And then finally, with the latest spate of violence and shootings in the last few weeks, we know it's turned deadly. And again, we grieve over and mourn over the the victims and express concern for the families. Um, You mentioned social media. Uh, What role has social media and the internet played in this phenomenon, and what have been the responses to it? So one good historic comparison is Islamophobia after 9-11. In that case, President Bush tried to encourage Americans to treat every American with respect and civility, whereas President Trump during COVID-19 continually mocked Asian people and used the term Chinese virus. He didn't have social media or the internet after 9-11, but we do now. So his hate speech and the use of the term Chinese virus went viral. First of all, that term does two things. It racialized the virus, so it wasn't just biological, but it was a Chinese virus, and it stigmatized the people so that the Chinese people were the ones carrying the virus. We were the disease carriers, outside threats. And so when people began to see that on social media thousands of times, along with racist memes or posts, that chemically hardwires in people's mind that association, the association of Asians with the disease. That then leads people to racially profile Asians. In America, people notice age, gender, and race. And so when they see Asians, they automatically think of the disease and they get triggered or threatened. And we see that time and time again in our data. The racism goes viral and hate speech then leads the way to hate violence and the attacks we're seeing. And then Asian Americans take to social media and because we're not recognized by government or mainstream media very often, um, because we're often excluded, 
Asian Americans have to use their own platforms to, to draw attention to their concerns, to voice what's happening. I mean, we use the internet to gather the data, right? And with Asian Americans um, sounding the alarm across the nation, and then with our influencers, um, our celebrities, our elected officials also using social media, that has really, again, amplified the issue so that eventually mainstream media picks up on what's going on in social media and addresses it. So I think Asian Americans have used social media as their platform to develop a collective voice. Sorry for that long answer, but no, that's fine. It was a Actually, great question. You answered my next question, was, uh, which was, what are Asian American communities doing as a result? Um, you spoke about celebrities. Are there any organizations that um, have been doing a lot of work on this? You know, the hate that I've been reading about on a daily basis has been horrific, and I'm outraged and distressed. As I read the incidents, I'm really saddened by how hateful people have become, how people feel like they can just cough and spit on elderly people and children and treat them like objects. And what keeps me going is actually the Asian American community's response. I've seen Asian Americans from all walks of life step up and stand up against this racism. So I think this is a major issue that's impacting us. That's why we went out to vote this past year, um, because racism was a primary motivating factor. So it's not just one organization or one set of celebrities. It's been a mass movement. It's been a pan-ethnic movement. So we're led by South Asian women who learned from 9-11 what could happen. We have allies. So this isn't just a time for um, hashtag activism. This is actually an on-the-ground movement where people and their families are talking about it, where churches and classrooms are dealing with it. It's reached the presidential office's concern. We've spoken at the White House. I spoke with the Attorney General. So it is a national issue and deserves the attention it's receiving today. Um, what can individuals do on a practical level to prevent or respond to an incident, whether that be on the street, at school, or at work? Um, individuals, first of all, should be um, intervening and stopping them from happening. If you see someone harassing another or threatening another, you just should attend to the targeted person and make sure they're safe. Help them get to safety if need be. And don't really dialogue that much with the perpetrator because you don't want to give them more of a platform. Instead, again, attend to the targeted person. If you need to set boundaries saying that language is racist and wrong, keep your distance. So intervening is really, really helpful. It shows that the individual is not alone. And so take responsibility for caring for your neighbor. Secondly, for us, it's reporting. By reporting, we can document what's happening and develop a collective voice. That's always been our aim, to um, give Asian Americans their own voice and then develop a collective voice to draw attention to the issue, to tell government this is what's happening. And I think we've been semi-successful in that. I think that's why we surveyed our response. That's what they wanted. They wanted to develop a collective voice to make racism stop. And so reporting helps document, it catches the attention of government and media, right? If they just had a, maybe one shot of someone getting harassed, they think, oh, that's an isolated incident. But if you couple video footage of an Asian elderly person being pushed down with data that shows this is a daily occurrence that's happening across the nation, that really sets the stage. It gives evidence to policymakers and to media people that this is a real widespread problem. So report, it makes a difference. And that's the second thing I do, stop it from happening, report it, 
And then for the violence that we're seeing a lot in Asian ethnic enclaves, I think we have to go out and support the community. So um, going to shop at Asian stores, going to eat in Asian restaurants, going to get your nails done, buying donuts. Um, going for boba is the easy thing to support your community. And actually getting bobas is your way to fight racism. Because what happens then is when we're out and about, we can be eyes and ears for our elderly and we can be protecting each other. So that's the third thing. Um, stop it from happening, report it happening, um, help the Asian community by going out and being about. And whatever organization you're in, whether it's a school or a faith-based group, whether it's a union or a corporate site, have that group make an official statement denouncing the racism. I used to think those kind of resolutions were sort of symbolic, but it matters now. We saw how Trump's words matter, right? It circulated and created the normalization of hate. So what we need now to do is normalize respect, normalize love. And the more we have lots of institutions, lots of groups saying, no, we support Asian Americans at this moment, especially coming down from leadership, that really helps set the group culture to develop diversity and respect. So I think for Asian Americans, it makes us feel seen and heard, right? right. And so we have to let people know that we want to be seen and heard. And then finally, you got to vote and um, advocate and then you can donate to Asian American groups. So I have lots of suggestions as an individual. Everybody's making a difference at this moment. Everybody has a voice and I see Asian Americans using it. Thank you. Um, before we finish this interview, I did wanna ask you a question about um, certain demographics of Asian Americans being targeted, specifically women and elders. Can you um, elaborate on that and tell us why they're being targeted? Yeah, in California, we have a high proportion of Asian American elders um, reporting. And you don't think of Asian American seniors going online, typing and complaining, but they are. They know when they're mistreated, when they're facing racism, and they don't want it to happen to others, to their family members, their younger family members. So our elders are actually standing up for us. And they're also probably getting disproportionately attacked because people see them as vulnerable. Bullies pick on those who they deem weak. Other vulnerable groups are children and youth, and then women. Women are harassed 2.3 times more than men. We've seen in the recent shootings in Georgia that it's no accident that Asian American women were targeted. It's no accident that a person with a sex addiction, a white male, drives around to go to an Asian American business to shoot Asian American women. It's been the fetishization and objectification of Asian American women that enables him to treat people in that way rather than as fellow humans. So that's been a clear trend that we've seen in our data. And again, it's distressing and outrageous how people treat those who they think are vulnerable. Thank you so much. Um, those were all my questions for today, but is there anything else you want to add? Now Asian Americans are feeling besieged and we're triggered, we're threatened, right? We're in a state of fear. And so we go into fight mode. That's why you see people arming themselves. That's why you want the cause for more policing. Um, we go into flight mode. We're telling our parents, don't go out, right? We're saying, don't go back to school because you might get bullied. You can go into freeze mode and not think about it, disassociate it, because it's too hard to think that, wow, people don't accept us. People hate us. People don't see us belonging. But the fourth response that I also see Asian Americans doing is by going into flock mode. And flock mode is protective. It's drawing together for community support for protection and safety and for strength. And again, as I said, Asian Americans are coming out, flocking together, 
again, when whatever organization they're in, talking about it, and then going out and flocking into Chinatowns and ethnic enclaves, taking care of our elders. And even this particular discussion is a flocking mechanism to share what's going on and to support each other and learn from each other. So I'm telling Asian Americans continue to flock. I think this is our strength. I think that's our cultural orientation and that's how we be communities one another. Wow, that was amazing. Um, I love that flocking <laughs> term. Thank you so much, Professor. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to learn more about this issue, join us on April 12th for our free webinar, Confronting Anti-Asian Racism, Anti-China Foreign Policy and Legislative Change, which includes a Q&A with Congresswoman Judy Chu. You can register at ncuscr.org slash anti-racism. That's anti-racism. If you're listening to this long after April 12th, you can visit that exact same page to watch a video of the program, along with the rest of our content addressing race, racism, and Sino-American relations. Again, that's at ncuscr.org slash anti-racism.